This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. Well, good morning, everybody. It's Tuesday, and I am Glenn Geek from Ocala, Florida. And I am Christy Landwehr from Aurora, Colorado. And you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for this Tuesday, July 17th. And this is episode 1976. This episode is brought to you by the Certified Horsemanship Association. Good morning, horse world. Houston, we have a problem. Ability equals skill plus knowledge. Feeling about this. Here's a safety tip for you from the Certified Horsemanship Association. Missed it by that much. How can I change this to make it better the next time? How do I get? Time for Training Tuesday on Horses in the Morning with the Certified Horsemanship Association. Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us here on Horses in the Morning, the world's premier podcast for the horse world. And we've been doing this a long time. I just noticed it's it's episode 1976, Christy. And that I remember 1976. It was our 200th anniversary of this country. It was the bicentennial. Yeah. It was a long time. I know. It was the bicentennial. There were all kinds of parades and events. You're too young to remember, but I remember. There was all kinds of stuff. I remember going to special parades, and they had special things in Washington, and it was a big deal. Uh, and you know what? Well, I don't know if we'll be around for the 300. I don't know. 2076 <laughs> is a long time. <laughs> 250, though, right? Is 250, when would that be? 26? Yeah, so, so we'll be around really for two fifty. That one's doable. Yeah, yeah, we can we can handle that one. Right. Well, uh, if you're new to the show, this is what happens uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Jamie Jennings is here with me, and uh, we have a little fun and goof around and talk to people in the morning about horse stuff. And then on Tuesdays and Thursdays, we have special episodes. And once a month, Christy stops by from the Certified Horsemanship Association, and we talk training issues. And you actually went to the auditors to get this batch of recommendations, and Jennifer's going to tell us what they wanted to hear about. That's right. Coming up on today's Certified Horsemanship Association Edition, Joanne Young, Christy Schumacher, and Jill Montgomery are going to take on lunging and long lining to improve horse and rider balance, flexibility, and strength. So it's going to be a horse and rider training juggernaut. Stay tuned for the fray. Thank you very much, Jennifer. And we thank the auditors for their suggestions. I know you got quite a few when you put that post up, so you're probably good for a month or two here anyway. Yes, everyone's very good about responding. I love that. That's one thing about horse people. We have a lot of opinions and we like to share them. And I think that's good because then it gives me lots of food for thought of how to do the show. And then we have a lot of questions because our horses are always throwing something new at us every day. So that's... Yes, my husband always says to me, Glenn, he goes, why don't you just ride a motorcycle or a bike like me? It doesn't have an opinion. I say, because that would be boring. (laughs) Daily Winnie time. Happy birthday, happy birthday, happy, happy 
<laughs> well, we also like to wish happy birthdays to our auditors, and we have two of them today, Elizabeth York and Kelly Renner. Happy birthday to both of you. We hope you have a fantastic day, and give your horses a carrot for us. So um, I just noticed some posts that you put up here recently, and we have a bunch of guests today, so we don't have a whole long time to talk, but I noticed a bunch of posts you put up here recently about your kids. How old are they again? They are 11 and 13. Both boys. And they're in 4-H, right? They are in 4-H, yes. It's called the Antelope Crossing 4-H Club here in Arapahoe County, Colorado. Okay, that all just sounds pretty and beautiful. You know that, right? I mean, (laughs) (laughs) just... And we actually do have antelope sometime in our pasture, so it actually does make sense. (laughs) I'm following uh, Dixie, who's a hiker, probably one of the most famous hikers in the country because of her videos. And she's doing the uh, the, uh, CDT, the uh, uh, Continental Divide Trail, and she's in Colorado now. So the Continental Divide Trail goes at the top across the mountains there and talk about beautiful scenery. I mean, you, you guys just have beautiful scenery one spot after another out there. It is pretty good. You know, it's funny, though. People come to my house and they're like, uh, you live in Kansas. I go to I Kansas with a view. <laughs> yeah. I can see the mountains. Kansas with a view. Yeah, you have to drive, what, about an hour, and then you can see the view from right. the top of the mountains. But Yes, yeah, so yeah. it is not bad at all. It really no, is not. You're not too far out of there. But uh, 4-H, now, is there anything, are, are they into horses in 4-H or other animals? You know, they're into, actually, other animals. So they like to do chickens and they like to do rabbits. Really? What exactly do you do with the chickens and the rabbits in 4-H? Well, you know what's so funny? You know how we have showmanship in horses. And of course, you know, just assume you know what that is when you're in horses and you've shown. No big deal. Well, they also have it for chickens and rabbits, which I was absolutely shocked that they had it for chickens and rabbits. What do they do? Do they bring them out and go, lay? And if they lay an egg, it's... Now, we have learned the hard way because in both chickens and rabbits, we started out with gigantuan animals. Okay, I guess it would be like doing showmanship with a um, draft horse, maybe. So, you know, because I'll tell you, they ended up doing showmanship with this gigantic rabbit that weighed 12 pounds. And they realized you can't really flip that. You got to flip it over and show the soft underside. Well, a prey animal doesn't want to do that. So now they've gone to a two and a half pound rabbit, a little bit easier to flip. And then in the chickens, they started off with a huge buff Orpington, this gigantic 10 pound chicken. And now they have a little bantam that they can have in their hand. So we have learned some. You only have one chicken. No, we have many chickens, but we only have one that you (laughs) show in showman. I didn't think it was possible to only have one chicken. I think it's everybody has chickens has a dozen. Partly because they all die on a regular basis. (laughs) Just, yes. Yeah. Well, they don't have a long lifespan. <laughs> no, no, especially if there's a coyote in there. That's a problem we always had. So, so now, how do you, what do you do? You just, do you have to wash your chicken? Do you brush your chicken? And you're, oh, what do goodness. you do? Glenn, so you know how there's show sheen for horses, right? To make yeah. them sparkly. Don't and tell all me there's show sheen for their chickens. Back. Oh, there's show sheen for chickens. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's actually this special spray that you use on hair that's like an afro for humans. Yeah. Because it works better on the chicken's feathers. And then there's, you know, the baby oil that you used to put like on the muzzle, especially with the Arabians yeah. when I used to show them. You put baby oil on their comb and their waddle. And then you use a toothpick and a toothbrush to clean every single speck of dirt out from their feet. What? Yes. Oh, yes. It is truly, yes, you have to do all that. With all the chickens you bring to the fair, you have to do that. But oh, do, do they have to wear one of those little chicken harnesses we talked about in the show the one day? 
No, they no. don't have to wear that. They okay. just hang out in their cage. But then when you show them in showmanship, you hold them the whole time. Oh, so it's not ring. like the dogs where you have to run them around the ring. <laughs> no, you're holding them the whole time. Okay. Yes, you're holding them and you're showing them to the judge and you have to flip them over and you have to open their beak and they have to be pretty tame. <laughs> Do you have to show an egg to wit- you know, to prove they're actually a chicken? If you have a hen and they lay an egg in their cage during the week of fair, you've got to put it on top of the cage so all the public can see an ooh and ah over it. Yes. <laughs> We used to love to go. When we went to the Pennsylvania or Pennsylvania Renaissance, when we went to the Pennsylvania Farm Show, we used to love to go in the chicken place where they had the chickens because there were like a million of them, and they're all different. So I many. Mean, they're all different. What about the bunny rabbits? What exactly do we do? Do they have to do like an agility course? Um, no, but I think that'd be super fun because yeah. they do a lot of that. If you've ever YouTube that, that's really entertaining. But no, actually, that they have to hold them and then put them on the table, and they have to. Oh, so it's like them. a rail class. They go around the edge. <laughs> <laughs> in a row and a reverse <laughs> they just stand still it's not oh. very it's like halter and horses they just stand still there's no trotting and them. walking walk and loping they just stand no. still. <laughs> nah. but they do lift their head with a treat they make sure they have to lift their head to pose they have to again flip them over show their paws show their belly they have to open their mouth show their teeth and say they have no malclusion and use big words like that when they're explaining their rabbit parts yeah it's pretty cool do you um do you have to be certified to be a judge in chickens and rabbits, you think? And what exactly is that class like? They're official people that come and they all have like livestock degrees and they've been doing it for years and their bios are really long. So yeah, I think you've it's like a big deal. I think you gotta get a card like you do for horse judging and you have to get continuing education units. Oh, I think it's a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I apologize to all the chicken showing community. I probably insulted no, half of them this a, morning. It's wonderful, actually. <laughs> I'll tell you, this is what's so cute. I, I should send Jen the photo. So I woke up this morning and I'm like, why is my son's light by his bed still on in his room? So I go in there and his head is on top of his American Standards for Poultry book. He was studying last night for fair and he fell asleep with the light on. So I took a picture. Okay, that takes geek to a whole new level right there. <laughs> Pretty proud of him. This mama was like, that's what I'm talking about. He is studying. He is ready to go. <laughs> and I'll tell you who else is ready to go, and that's your first guest. <laughs> I am so glad. All right. I'm going to introduce Miss Joanne Young. Joanne has been teaching riding and training horses for over 40 years and is so happy that she is still learning with every student and every horse brings fresh challenges that keeps life very interesting. She helped build the horse program at Houghton College in New York and is a regional director and a clinician for us here at CHA. Hello, Joanne. How are you today? I'm doing just fine, Miss Christy. How are you? I am doing fine. Yeah, but I bet you she's never shown a chicken in an in-hand class. Uh, No, I haven't. I've raised them. Oh, yeah, I know, but uh, I just learned about chicken showmanship, and uh, apparently Christy's kids are out there doing it. I'm afraid my biggest adventure with chickens was protecting a small child from attack from a white legged rooster who thought he shouldn't get anywhere near the hens. <laughs> Roosters are good for that. <laughs> Fortunately, the child was wearing double overnight diapers, so he wasn't hurt. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. No maiming the children. <laughs> We had a lot of roosters that had to go because of that reason. They kept attacking us and everything else that moved. Uh, Yeah. Well, Joanne has an exciting thing to share. Share a little bit about your new adventure in all the building going on at Houghton College. It's exciting. Well, starting back in October, 
um, we put to use a $2.4 million anonymous donation to put up our dream arena that we had been planning and praying about for a lot of years. And it's now up and fully functional. Uh, the indoor riding floor is 100 feet wide by 240 feet long. So that's big enough for any kind of pattern you would want to run. Big enough to set up a 20 by 60 meter dressage arena in it with plenty of warm-up space around. Big enough to block off a 50 by 100 warm-up area for jumps at the end and still build a full jump or hunter course. And it's got bleacher seating um, outside the slanted kickboards and a concession room and restrooms and a welcome center and a stabling annex and changing rooms for nervous show people that have a private bathroom facility, restroom facility inside and two wash stalls. It's geothermal heat. So that means right now when it's up in the 80s and 90s in Western New York, it's a cool even 70 in the indoor arena. And it pumps heat in from the earth in the winter, so we can set it whatever temperature we want in the winter, too. Beautiful view of the valley, because above the kickboards on the end that faces south is big windows that face down the Genesee River Valley. And we have a huge new parking lot, too, for ease of unload and reload of competitors with their horses and gear. So fancy. So excited for you. Yeah, I've been posting pictures on Facebook of the progress. I couldn't believe the weather the guys could keep on working through. Well, you know what's interesting about that is a lot of colleges are closing their equestrian programs. Just read about another one. They're closing their equestrian programs altogether. So it's exciting that you guys are able to keep doing that. Well, it's one of the biggest deciding factors for students choosing Houghton College over other colleges. And our graduates have gone on to be trainers and instructors and college professors all the way up to international level. We have one directly from graduation who went to Germany and got hired at Hofkastleman as a trainer. And that's where a lot of Europeans and Americans have bought their Olympic prospects. Um, we've had several that have gone on to teach at other colleges and universities. We have one who is actively using his own Hanoverian mare that he trained to coach para-equestrian students who have made it all the way to the London Para-Equestrian Olympics, to the Normandy World Equestrian Games, and to the Rio Para-Equestrian Olympics. Um, So, yeah, we give them a good, solid foundation, and CHA plays a large part in that. Because for anyone who's majoring, getting their CHA instructor certification and or equine facility management certification is an integral part of their college courses. And we've, yeah, and that's been great. We also hosted our big international conference there um, a few years back, and they're right next to Niagara Falls. So we were able to go for a journey there, too. So lots of lots of good things about Houghton, great horses and students. The one thing you haven't seen yet, Christy, is Letchworth State Park, which was voted the best state park in the nation. That's only 13 miles north of Houghton, and it is a huge river gorge with three magnificent waterfalls and 17 miles of hiking trails along the river, and it's just gorgeous. I'll have to bring my whole family and do that. We all like to hike. There you go. You can always use my house for a base or stay in a cabin in in the uh, park, either one. Yeah, I've got well, plenty we, of guest rooms. We might take you up on that. You never know. You know, the Landware family does do that. We've done that before with cousins in England. We just show up. Hi, here we are. <laughs> so we might take you up on that. That'd be great. That would be great. 
Well, let's go ahead and let our listeners um, get a glimpse of some of the things that they were really excited about. A lot of the uh, auditors were really interested in this topic, and I think it's one that doesn't get talked about a lot, um, especially on the horse side, and really needs to. And that is kind of the difference and the purpose of lunging, long lining, ground driving. You know, we hear all these words, and I think we all have a different definition in our mind of what they are and how they're useful. So let's dive right in and hear, Joanne, what do you feel the real purpose of those types of things is? Well, a lot of people would use lunging as just a way to burn off excess energy so the horse is going to get the bucks out before they ride. But it's really meant for a lot more than that. And the same with not so much with long lining and ground driving, which are two terms that can be used more or less interchangeably. The purpose of lunging is really to acclimatize the horse to the saddle and bridle, which also can be part of the long lining and the ground driving. Um, But in addition to that, with correct technique, you can teach rhythm, tempo, hind leg engagement, how to get the horse to get correct bend in its ribs and get a swinging relaxed back. And you can do half halts and get the horse to balance itself and gain confidence. That also is a time when combining your voice with your body position and your correct use of the lunge whip, you can get the horse acclimatized so that when you actually get on the horse, you can have someone else still on the lunge line and the vocal commands and the body language from the ground will then match more quickly with what the rider is doing in the saddle. So it can be used for starting or for fine tuning. The long lining can be used for everything from basic voice commands and basic gates on up through, if you do it like they do in the Spanish riding school in Vienna, Austria, you can do half pass You can do half-pass zigzag with flying changes. You can do piaf and passage. You can train the horse to do extended gates. Of course, you'd better be fairly stable and fleet of foot if you're going to do that much. Yes. You would not want to trip and be drug along as you are doing those things. But have oh, my gosh. For Mm. those of you that have ever watched that, either live or on video, it's amazing to see. Yes, for sure. So in regards, um, what are some different types of equipment that needs to be used um, for these types of activities? And what are the advantages and limitations do you feel of each? Okay, I do know plenty of people that lunge with just a halter. And they'll attach the uh, snap of the lunge line to the chin ring. Um, Basically, if that's what you're doing, because the halter is not fitted precisely to the horse's head, about all you can really manage on that is a little loop in your line and exercise to get the horse moving and burn off excess energy. But you're not going to be able to get them to really drive from the heart, swing over their back and balance themselves. Um, I would say the same thing is true with rope halters. You can get basic obedience and basic gates, but you can't really precisely work on developing the quality of the gates. Um, There are three ways that you can use a more precise tool. One would be to use a snaffle bridle with a snaffle bit in it. And um, you can either run the lunge line through the bit ring on the side that's going to be closest to the center of the arena over the pole, and then snap it to the ring on the other side. So you get a slight downward pressure on the pole, and it puts even pressure on both sides of the bit. Or you can get 
can get a connector snap, which is a Y-shaped um, strap of nylon with a ring on the base and a snap on each upper end of the Y. Usually those are made long enough so that you do not want to put the snaps on the bit because then if the horse put his head down, he could step on or through the Y, which would be, you can just picture the disaster that would be. But instead, you would run the straps that hold the snap through the bit ring from the chin out through the bit ring and then back down and snap it to the center ring on each side. And that would keep it up closer under the chin and it would have the smooth feel of the nylon strap rather than the jingling of the snap on the bit ring. Um, they also make connector straps for lunging that are leather that have a snap on each end and then a ring in the middle. Sometimes they, instead of a snap, they will have a strap with buckle that can be adjusted. You need to make sure you get the right size. So if you're going to put it under the chin, it will rest against the chin and not hang down at all. Um, and then the lunge line would attach to the middle ring. There are the ones that buckle on and are adjustable. If you have a horse with a particular sensitive bars on the mouth, you can put it over the bridge of the nose and buckle it snug enough so it will sit very stable on the bridge of the nose. And then you, again, put your lunge line on the snap that goes on the ring in the center. And then when you need to put a vibration on the line to communicate with the horse, it will communicate via the bit but also the bridge of the nose. So it works kind of like the gentle leader or halty collars that they make for dogs that pull on collars that works similar to that or similar to a, a lunging cabazon. Um, and like I said, that is particularly helpful if you happen to have a horse who is very sensitive on the bars of the mouth and on the tongue to help them get used to carrying the bit while you lunge them before you put a rider up with reins on the bit. And I can take a horse that's very fussy, that throws its mouth open every time you touch the reins and help them to learn how to understand to carry the bit more comfortably. Joanne, I'm so glad you're mentioning, if I can just interject here for one second, I'm so glad that sure. you're mentioning the metal on metal, because I don't think people realize that when you have metal snaps, even on your reins, and you put them on a metal bit, that's a lot of vibration in that horse's mouth. Whereas if you have the leather end to your reins, or in this case, your Y that you're talking about, it doesn't you know, create that much vibration through their mouth, and it's actually yes. can be much more user-friendly. So I'm really glad that you brought that up. Well, and there's also the factor, too, that you want to eventually train your horse so that you think it, you breathe it, the horse is doing it. If you have white noise going on all the time in the horse's mouth, that interferes with the subtlety of the very advanced level riding because that white noise of the metal on metal obscures the very soft vibration you can make with your finger that would get a beautiful, instant, soft response from your horse. Very much so. so why agree. would you want to throw that away and prevent it? True. Very true. So I'm sorry. So you had one more. Yeah. And that would be the lunging cabazon. And those are the good quality ones are made from leather. And there are three metal pieces on the noseband that are very heavily padded with padded leather on the underside. Um, the noseband part has a ring in the center on the bridge of the nose and one on each side 
of the noseband part. It is meant to be buckled very firmly on the head so that it cannot slide around and twist at all. In addition, it has a jowl strap that will go from the midpoint of the cheek piece around the full part of the jowl of the jaw, the big round cheek of the jaw. That also is so should the horse suddenly pitch a hissy fit and decide he's going to whip his shoulder away from you and depart the premises, you can put a tug on his nose and bring him back around and not have to worry about the cheek piece riding up on the offside and pushing against his eye, which, again, would destroy the trust he might want to have in you. Um, it's very important if you're going to use a lunging cavasson that it is correctly fitted like that, that it's the right size for the horse, and that it be the leather with the heavily padded um, metal hinged noseband, simply because you can get inexpensive ones that are just nylon with artificial fleece on the inside, and the rings are correctly placed, but there's no way you can stabilize it on the horse's head enough to be safe and effective. So well, the side rings can too- be... Joanne, I'm just glad you're bringing this up. I mean, how many times do we see people that they just don't know, but they attach the lunge line to the side of the bit of the side that they're lunging from? And that can pull a bit right through a horse's mouth while they're lunging them. So, you know, um, having a conversation about all the different ways to attach this is wonderful. Yes. And if I have seen very advanced trainers with very advanced level, very quiet, stable horses, um, use attaching the bit just to the ring on the side closest to them. However, if you're going to do that, you really need to either have a flash or drop noseband that would prevent the ring on the outside from getting pulled through the mouth or have a full cheek or a D-ring bit to help prevent that happening or bit guards. And even then, it's still not ideal. Very true, but very good solution steps for those that maybe do that um, kind of in a pinch. So I think that's really good. So I I would throw in there too, don't ever use a lunge line with a chain on it for lunging, especially not if you're going to put it over the pole, because that can just become a lethal weapon. Yes, that would dig in and produce pressure points that nobody would want. That would not be any fun at all. So I would add one last piece of equipment that most people haven't thought about that I used to use back when I was um, fitting horses on the lunge for halter classes in quarter horse circuit back in the days when I was a college student. And that is, if you have a good stiff sizal lariat, you put the lariat around the horse's neck and slide it up near the pole, and then you reach under their chin with the, um, oh shoot, now I've forgotten the name of the, the ring that the lariat slides through in the end. One of you will think of it. You reach through with that underneath and grab a piece of lariat and slide it through, and you're going to put it over the bridge of the horse's nose. And that, in a pinch, will make a lunging apparatus but again i would only use that in a pinch with a very steady quiet horse because a lariat is strong enough you could really abrade the bridge of the nose or you won't get a choke if you've got it with that war bridle arrangement that i've talked about where you pull the second loop through the first loop that's under the chin but again if you had to lunge a horse and had nothing else available that would work is that ring called a honda thank you that was the word I was trying to think of. Jen, I haven't done any roping I, I'm going to give the credit time. to Jen. She totally just uh, Skyped messaged me <laughs> and said it's called the Honda. So it's all about Jen. So thanks, Jen. This is why it takes yeah. a village, right? Yeah, very good. Absolutely. So, um, 
I want to have a conversation with you before we move on into kind of the nuances of how to actually lunge and not just stand there and make your horse go around in a circle. But the whip, you know, I think so many people. Wait a minute, you're supposed to do more than that? I knew I was doing something. Yes, horse husband. (laughs) Yes, there is so much more to that. But I'm not just supposed to chase him around with like a whip. No. no, and some okay. people don't even use a whip, and that is a big pet peeve of mine. I really believe that that extension of your arm is so important in lunging and really is needed. See, so, I got one of the two parts right. You did. did. A whip is a good thing. <laughs> it is a good thing. Also, gloves are a good it's thing, It's a communication Glenn. tool. Yeah. That's right. You don't want your hands to fall off if your pony escapes and runs really fast away. <laughs> yeah, well, that's not never happened before, ever. No, of course no, not. He's no. a perfect little angel ha- pony. Hackney ponies <laughs> never do that. <laughs> ever. <laughs> I'm sorry. So can Go we ahead. talk a little bit about the whip before we move on, Joanne? Sure. Um, if you've never lunged before or you're lunging a horse you don't know and you don't know what his reaction is, I would make sure that I had either lots of pets for that horse and had already established a really good relationship with him, or I would do like the Spanish riding school people do, and that is have whatever that horse's favorite treat is, whether it be a sugar cube or a chunk of apple or a piece of carrot or commercially made treat that he has to earn. And then I would stand next to him and pat him and stroke him with the shaft of the whip on the neck, down the ribs, over the hip, down the legs. And when he stands quietly while I'm petting his neck with the other hand and a second person is holding the lunge line or the lead line, standing out of strike range and off to one side, then I would feed him a treat. So he understands it's a communication tool and not a weapon of mass destruction. Then you have to time what you're doing. It is an extension of your arm. If a horse has never lunged before, I'm going to start out with just walk work and I'm going to have a second person either on the inside of the circle next to it between his head and his shoulder, or they're go- if I'm in a big enough area that if I make a 20 meter circle, they would not be in any danger of being pinned against a wall or a fence. I'm going to have them the outside of the circle. And so I'm going to communicate with the lunge line and the lunge whip. Uh, my belly button is going to be facing right where my leg would go if I was sitting on the horse. The whip would be aimed towards the horse's hocks and the lunge line hand, which would be the side on the tie towards the head, is going to be leading the horse. So in effect, I'm at the point of a piece of pie and the horse is the crust. And the leader is helping enforce that the crust remain out there and not in on top of the lunger. You start out at just the walk. And when the horse gains confidence, then you can have someone halfway in between you and the horse to help keep him out there and then eventually take them away. You progress at the rate that the horse's response and comfort increase. That's so very good. safety so I'm first. Gonna, yeah, and I'm going to jump around a little bit on some of these questions okay. um, because I'm curious now, if if I'm new to lunging, do I go all the way out to the end of the lunge line? Are all lunge lines created equal? How big should my circle be? Generally speaking, lunge lines are 25 feet to 30 feet long. That's pretty standard. You will find people that do the Western National Natural Horsemanship like to use a long lead rope that is about 10 to 15 feet long. You need to be aware of the size of your horse because turning on a continual circle is going to put a lot of lateral torque on the horse's leg joints. So the bigger the horse, the bigger the circle you need to be making. And you want to be real careful not to 
whip their head in or let them whip in and spin their hips out too fast because that's going to put tremendous stress on the knee joint of the front leg that they pivot on. So my preference is the bigger the circle, the gentler the curve, the more effective the lunging and the less likely you are to hurt the horse's legs. If it's a young horse or if it's a horse that's doing fairly advanced work that's going to involve anything lateral, you want to be sure that you have splint boots or polo wraps on and correctly adjusted. And when you stop them on the lunge line, you bring up a really good point, Joanne. Should they stop still facing the direction of travel? Should they stop and turn into you? Should they stop and come to you? What is your preference? That will depend on what your ultimate goal and purpose is in the lunging that you're doing. If you are trying to train the horse to turn and face you as a mark of respect, then you're going to let that happen. If you are trying to train, and you're going to do that by dropping your eyes towards the horse's front feet, pulling your sternum and stomach back and rounding your shoulders slightly. And then when the horse reaches the point you want them to stop, you're going to stand up straight, draw your shoulder blades towards each other and look the horse directly in the eye to say that's far enough. If you are working on developing steady, even tempo, thrust from the hind leg, swing through the back and to halt in whatever position the horse is in, then if the horse starts to turn in, you're going to flick the lash of the lunge line towards its shoulder. If it tries to bulge its ribs in towards you to pull away, you're going to flick the lash in the direction of the ribs. If they're turning their butt towards you and their head away, you're going to gently tug their head back towards you and flick the whip towards their haunches. When you say, whoa, you're going to stand up straight, going to turn your shoulder towards the horse's shoulder slightly. So it's a visual body check, even though you're 25 feet away, put a vibration on the lunge line and drop the tip of the lunge whip on the ground. Does that make sense? It does. It's, um, it's good. And I'll tell you in audio land, right? You're, you're painting good pictures here because you're being very detailed, which I like. So now I want to know how long should I lunge my horse when I'm lunging? Should I lunge for 30 minutes each way? Should I keep changing direction? What should I do? Okay. Lunging is very intensive work for a horse's body. So if it's a baby and I'm doing it to help him begin to develop his body a little bit and understand how to balance himself and pay attention to me, I wouldn't do any more than about 15 minutes and I would reverse direction every three to five minutes so that he doesn't overstress any set of muscles or ligaments on either side of his body. I love if that answer. Is- I love that. And let me tell you why I love that. I think sometimes in different sports, um, you know, especially, and we talk about this all the time in racehorses, right? They tend to only go left. And so we tend to, after a while, stress them. So just like when we normally ride the horse, we want to not go for 30 minutes reverse and then go for another 30 minutes. If we're doing an hour ride, we should reverse 20 times while we ride in an hour. So this concept of actually changing them, and even though that's a pain, you've got to go up and adjust the headgear accordingly in order to reverse them. I think that's a great idea to reverse them a bunch of times during the lunging session. Super. Now, one thing I would throw in there, if you're lunging with a lunge cavasson or one of the Y couplers that goes under the chin or the connector strap that goes over the bridge of the nose, you will draw their head towards you. You first switch which hand the lunge line and the lunge whipper in, pass the whip behind your back to your new hand 
so it's not flicking at the horse and telling him to jig around. And then you draw his head towards you, and you raise the whip and point it at his new shoulder as the outside shoulder turns in, and you gesture to make him move his shoulder out. Now, one of the premier things to remember with the use of the lunge whip is you raise the tip off the ground to gesture at the horse to tell him what you want. As soon as he begins to comply, not after he's finished doing it, as soon as he begins to comply, drop the tip of the whip on the ground and turn it away from him to say, yes, you're doing the right thing. If he then stops or starts to go back the other way, you raise the tip of the whip again. But if you use a continual push, it's just like training a horse to maneuver trail obstacles. Too much aids, too fast, too continuously, and the horse begins to panic that he's not getting the right answer, and you're destroying trust and getting him to flail around instead of thoughtfully take one step at a time. Very true. Now, I have some specifics here. So I want to know the difference between lunging a lazy horse versus lunging a woohoo horse. Are there some nuances there? <laughs> there are in that with the horse is that it's very ambitious. As long as he is actually driving from his hocks, you're mostly going to use a soft vibration. And I always hold the lunge line in my hand with it coming up through my hand like I would in English rain. So I can use between my pinky and my ring finger and exiting by my thumb. So I can use a soft vibration on the lunge line with my ring finger inside my gently closed fist. Okay. And so if he's getting too quick and he's driving from behind, I'm going to body check him by turning my shoulders. Say we're lunging to the left. So my belly button is facing the middle of his rib cage, my right shoulder is towards his hip, and my left shoulder is towards his heel. I'm going to step slightly ahead of the line of the bottom end of his shoulder blade towards his chest, and I'm going to put a light vibration on the line. Now, if he's cavorting around lumbering on the forehand, I'm going to put the tingle or tickle on the lunge line in the rhythm of the speed and tempo I want him to take his steps. And then you have to coordinate that with the lunge whip. So if he's in the walk or the trot, as the hind leg on the side closest to me is extended out behind the horse, about to push off and swing forward, I'm going to bring the lunge line lash forward along the ground and flick it up towards the hock as it gets closer to the hock. That encourages the horse to take a bigger, more powerful stride. And at the same time, that little tickle on the lunge line says, but steady yourself, don't push yourself on the forehand and just run. The same technique works with the lazy horse, except I may have to actually catch him on the tip of the hock a couple times to say, excuse me, wake up, smell the coffee, I was speaking to you. But as soon as I get any kind of energetic response, I'm immediately going to follow up with good boy and drop the tip of the whip down. So as long as he's working on his own impulsion, I'm allowing him to and verbally encouraging him. I like to use a key phrase also so the horse understands verbally as well as with the body language what I'm talking about. So the word I usually use is push. And so I'm going to put a strong sh sound on the end of the P-U-S-H at the same moment as I move that lunge, land, lunge whip lash towards him. So in effect, you're doing a half halt, rebalancing the horse, getting him to drive from the hocks. That will also get him to engage his core and belly muscles. So he pushes his back up as he strides off, which helps draw the hind legs 
further underneath. Now, you probably want to know, well, what about the canter or lope? Since the first step of the canter or lope is taken with the non-leading hind, then if I want the horse to canter, I will ask as the hind leg on the far side, on the outside of the circle is extended out behind, I will flick the lash then and whatever you use for vocal cues that your horse is familiar with, you're going to accompany that with the lunge line, whether it's a chirp or a kiss noise or a chop or get or whatever your horse already knows and understands, you're going to put that along with the lunge whip and the tickle on the lunge line. And if I can just interject for those that are listening saying, oh my goodness, I want to listen to this again and again. Remember, this is a recorded show, so you will be able to do that um, because right now we're live and we'll soon also have it up on uh, Horses in the Morning to listen to and also on CHA's website. And we also, it's not Joanne, it's Tammy Gaynor, another one of our clinicians, but she's doing a lunging video for us that you can find on our YouTube channel and also on um, chainstructors.com under the education tab. So there is still more to come um, after Joanne is done speaking today, you can go back and listen again to all these wonderful details she's giving us. So I have um, kind of one of these sum up questions here, but I think it doesn't really sum it up. It more puts us in a totally different direction, but I think it's important to talk about. What about those listeners that might be thinking, well, I have a round pen. Why can't I just have them go in that? Do I even need to lunge my horse? What do you think of um, how to use a round pen correctly? Uh, using a round pen is great, and you will find more and more of the eventing and dressage barns are building them because they are so very useful. And one of their uses is the fact that you are not dependent on anything attached to the horse's head to keep them from leaving town mid-work session. However, you do need to realize that you can exercise the horse, you can encourage better quality gates from the horse, with your body language alone, and back in the day before I had to have hip replacement, I used to free lunge my horses quite a lot, and they actually imitate what you do. So if you stand in the center of the round pen and you face towards the horse's belly where your leg would go, and then turn, say he's tracking left, just for example, I won't change that mid-talk, turn your right shoulder towards that spot on his ribs and take your left foot and step forward, the horse will usually start walking. If you start picking your knees up high, like a hackney horse, your horse will generally start trotting. And if you step forward and do a very small, very small version of a canter or lope in a small circle in the center of the arena, the round pen, your horse will tend to imitate. If you stand still, bring your feet together, chest up, shoulders back, and body check the horse visually with your position, they will do a halt. And if you drop your shoulders and draw your belly and your sternum back, they will turn towards you. And then you can step towards what used to be the outside shoulder and that's coming in towards you. Step towards that and towards their hip and move them around. It is harder to get the precision that you want for hind leg engagement and swing through the top line and acceptance of the bit or connection with the head without a lunge line, but you can also use a lunge line in the round pen so that you have that same finesse as well as having a perfectly round circle because you can push them out 
closer to the fence or you can draw them in a little bit if they're younger and, and you need to have them closer to you, but you still don't have to worry about them suddenly turning tail and leaving town. I agree so much with your um, thoughts on a round pen. I see more and more barns going to them. I have a 60-footer, and boy, I just love it. I absolutely love my round pen and use it all the time for so many different kinds of things. So I think it's wonderful, you know, having the conversation about kind of how lunging and round pen goes hand in hand, and they're a little bit different, you know, groundwork, um, but they can also be done kind of together. Absolutely. Super. And Houghton has a 60-footer also, and that's where we mandate when people come for dressage shows, that's where they lunge their horses. Because then we know we don't have to be responsible for anybody ripping their horse's head off in lunging. Absolutely. Then they have that rail on the outside, right, which is useful exactly. for them. Yeah, ours is like, uh, I think it's about six, five or six feet high. So it's not going to be a temptation for anybody to try and jump over it either. And right. uh, the, the rails go all the way to the ground so the good footing won't get pushed out underneath. And should a horse be, say, fooling around and bucking and yeehawing, if he slips and falls, because we all know young horses can do that, they usually get up and look around to make sure nobody saw them embarrass themselves that way. We don't have to worry about a leg sliding under a rail and getting hurt either. Very good. Lots of good safety tips as well as useful tips on what to do with different types of horses while you're working with them on the ground, especially in regards to lunging. So before we go ahead and um, go today, Joanne, is there anything about long lining, which I know is also called ground driving, that you would like to touch on a little bit today? Well, um, it works great if you're starting a horse western and you don't have a lunging surcingle. You can put a little strap underneath that would tie your stirrups so they can't fly up. And once you've got your horse acclimated to being ground driven without the saddle and he's used to being led with the saddle, so he's not bucky and frightened of the cinch pressure on his sternum, you can then put a lunge line or if you have a 50 foot long rope that's soft cotton with a snap on each end, that's called a double lunge. You can run that from the bit through the stirrups to your hands and background. Obviously, if it's one long rope, you have to run it from your hand through the stirrup up to the bit um, or to the lunging cabasson side rings if you're using one of those. It's very important that you have a leader and that you're far enough back that you're away from kick range because heaven forfend you get kicked in the sternum and stop your heart. Um, if you're going to do what they call double lunging, you can work the horse on the circle. It's very important that your outside line be above the hock and just below the cur- fullest part of the curve of the buttock, and that if it's going to come around, it's under the tail, not trapping the tail against the butt cheeks. And then when you reverse direction, obviously you have to reverse the horse to the outside of the circle. But it gives you the advantage that the line coming through the stirrup resembles more a little bit like there's a rein on each side and your outside rein can line can work like your outside rein and your outside leg to help establish correct bend in the horse. Obviously the inside line coming through the stirrup is going to come directly to your hand. And so that's going to give a bending effect on the horse. Takes a delicate hand to do that. If you have a lunging surcingle, there are reins at various heights that you can use or rings on it so that you can determine how high or low that horse tends to carry its head. And then you're going to put the lines through those rings. You have to be agile and quick. So you keep a very light, consistent, elastic feel on the horse's mouth. 
You have to be very careful also that you don't get big slack between your hand and the horse's body because heaven forfend to get wrapped around his legs. Then you've got a major wreck. You usually use like a long lining whip or a long driving whip, and you will use that if you're directly behind the horse to touch the side of the hip to help them turn. You're going to use your voice to get them to go. Always start with a leader first till the horse is calm and steady and understanding. And with some horses, that could be three minutes. With other horses, it could be 30 sessions before you reach that point. So you have to know how to read your own horse and don't push him past his comfort zone. Um, My favorite mentor, Walter Zettel, always used to say, you ride or work the horse to its limit, but never over its limit. Because if you don't go to the horse's limit of what they're comfortable with, they never expand their comfort zone and get any better trained. But if you go past the limit of their comfort zone, then you destroy trust and balance and you do damage to the relationship with the horse and to his training and ability to accept the training. Such a good quote to end with, Joanne. And I'll tell you, for those listening again, Mitzi Summers, another one of our clinicians, is doing a double lunging video for us. Again, on chainstructors.com, education tab, YouTube videos. So you can see what Joanne is talking about visually for those that want to do that. So, um, Joanne, uh, how do people find you? What is the best way to reach you? I know they can come to our website, CHA Instructors, and find you. But go ahead and give um, Houghton's uh, website. Uh, sure. It's www.houghton.edu. And then you can put a slash and put the word equestrian, E-Q-U-E-S-T-R-I-A-N. That will take you directly to the equestrian program webpage. You can click on professors and find me that way. Or you can just put in first name dot last name at houghton.edu for an email. So it would be J-O-A-N-N-E dot Y-O-U-N-G at houghton.edu. Awesome, Joanne. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Have a great one. You too, Christy. Always a pleasure to chat with you. Bye-bye. Bye. We should charge for that class. I know. I'm telling you. So detailed. Isn't <laughs> was, it great? I love how she explains it because you can. I even understood what she was saying. I could visualize it. And yes. you could tell she's been working in education because she explains it so you can visualize it. That's right. You can close your eyes and go, I get that. Yeah, which is one of the hardest things to do when you're on a radio, you know, audio show, because it's tough to do that. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, but she did very well. Yep. um, She should be a teacher. Oh, wait. She is. She is. (laughs) (laughs) She already is a professor. Never mind. She chose the right vocation. (laughs) All right. We're going to dive right into our next guest. Awesome. Excited to have uh, Christine on the show today. She's the founder of High Mountain Horsemanship Outreach to at-risk youth and Operation War Horse for veterans. She uses a style of horse training and instruction that she calls relational horsemanship and trains all the horses used at her center, as well as for several private clients. She's a certified instructor with us and lives and works in Kentucky. So going from New York to Kentucky. How are you, Christy? I'm wonderful. How are you guys? Good. It's so good to have you on the show today. And this is going to be fun because now we're going to switch gears a little for those listening. And we're going to go into some rider flexibility, balance, and strength. Um, Things that you can do both on and off the horse and some different things that Christina's seen in her journey here as being an instructor. And this, this also came from a question from the auditors too, right? 
Oh, absolutely. They wanted both horse and rider. They were, they were excited to hear about both. Okay. So what are some of your um, common body issues that you see your students struggling with? Well, especially with um, today's, you know, youth, I do work with both youth and adults, but there obviously has always, you know, as growing up, I'm sure we all heard, sit up straight, you've got horrible posture. But I think that that's kind of gone to a whole new level, um, you know, with the newer generation, with all of the new inventions that we have, like cell phones and iPads and video games and and all that. So I see a lot of um, poor posture where a lot of times the kids are, are do much more have a developed like a C back, you know, C curve in their back where they're kind of slumped forward at the waist and, and just kind of curving forward. So I see a lot of weak backs and a lot of weak cores, um, core muscles, just overall. Uh, I see a lot too, because again, you know, the whole texting generation that we are now, and again, it's, it's, it's also becoming pretty prevalent in us as adults as well, but we're, we're kind of down there texting on that phone. And I know everybody kind of knows that posture where we've got that phone and we're looking down and our shoulders are rolled forward. And um, so they're kind of get stuck in that position. And that also, as that weakens the back, it also, all the muscles that help hold the shoulder blades down um, get stretched and, and get looser. But then the muscles that are on the front, you know, like our pecs and around our clavicles and, and the front, you know, abdominal muscles are kind of tightening up because they're shorter, you know. And so they're kind of staying in that position and getting tight, whereas the muscles in the back and between the shoulder blades are getting looser and, and more and more stretched. So I see a lot of that um, bad C-back curve is what I call it, where they just kind of look like that little hunched. Um, I tell the kids, you know, how do you look when you're on your cell phone <laughs> and that type of thing. Um, I've even talked to some professionals, you know, within the chiropractic world and different things like that. And they said they're seeing so much more of that and the neck, you know, the neck hat not having the curve to balance the head and, and a lot of structural weaknesses in that way. Um, another one that I'm seeing that, again, I think has become more prevalent with the newer inventions and much more um, up close, uh, constant use of cell phones and things like that is is poorer vision. And and I don't mean eyesight by that. I've actually had to learn quite a bit about this myself. Um, but a lot of inward kind of up close vision because we're we're tuning into this device that's right in front of us or or the video game that's you know just a few feet away. And I think that that's closing in our vision quite a bit. So I, I see a lot more students, both young and old, but especially um, younger, having a hard time, you know, we've always as instructors, you know, look up, <laughs> you know, it's one of the favorite things they say, look forward, you know, look, raise your eyes, don't look down. Um, but I'm seeing that becoming more and more prevalent. And what I found out even in myself is about um, vision therapy, I actually ended up having myself to see a behavioral vision optometrist due to a head injury. And I first found out about this at an instructor symposium at the University of Kentucky when they had a guest speaker come in from Virginia who does this. And as he's describing some things that were going on, that he was there to teach us, like what to watch for in our students. And he's describing, and I'm going, I see that all the time. But then I was also, he's, he's describing, I'm going, that's me, that's me, that's me. And it was actually a blessing because I ended up, I had a head trauma and did not realize how it had actually affected my brain and my vision. And thus, I knew my balance and stuff had gotten much worse after the head trauma, but I didn't understand why. So I've been learning a lot more about the vision. Um, you know, eyesight is just our ability to see. Vision is that ability to really identify, interpret, comprehend, and act on everything that is seen within the brain. And so I've seen that kind of also deteriorating to a degree. Kids don't have as much peripheral vision 
as um, those of us that maybe grew up really playing outside a lot more and having to take in the world. Again, kids are kind of focused, even in school, you know, now it, it, they're on books and then or the iPads. And so I see a lot of that where it's harder for them. And of course, both of those things, the poor posture and the poor vision leads to a lack of balance, both in young and old, you know, older students. And so, you know, shockingly, I'm seeing more younger kids have um, more lack of balance than I think we used to just because of lack of more activity outdoors and and movement and and things like that. So that's kind of overarching. The the big things I see is posture, balance, and the vision capabilities playing into that as well. I think those are great observations of kind of our um, just society as a whole, and it can relate to any sport. But how do you find that these particular issues affect them and their riding ability? What are you seeing precisely with that? Um, I see that the, that the riders are tiring, you know, wearing out, um, becoming fatigued much faster, much more easily. It obviously very much affects the rider's ability to have balance and hold that balance. Um, because even if we get them in that right position, if, if those muscles and, and those abilities, even within the brain are not strengthening, um, that's going to affect their balance. And of course, anytime, a rider's balance is affected, that immediately also affects the horse's balance. So if a horse, if a student's really unstable um, and, you know, carrying a lot of tension or is wobbly or are just not able to hold their own balance, that obviously also makes our horse's job much, much harder. Um, it can strain the horse's backs. It also often puts the horse on the forehand um, or even, you know, often I see asymmetry in, in the balance of the rider, not just front to back, but side to side. And so, you know, if you're kind of constantly leaning to the right, now all of a sudden either the horse is having to compensate for that, but typically they start drifting and the horse is following that weight and, and drifting. And, and then the student's like, why is my horse not going straight? <laughs> you know, and it's because of the, the tip of the rider. And so I see it affecting, you know, a lot of that. So it just makes the job harder on the horse right off the bat. And then of course, as the horse adjusts, that often makes the rider feel more unstable um, or like a little bit more fear if they're a new rider. And so that then, you know, potentially makes the, the situation worse because as if their fear level goes up and they stiffen more, they obviously are going to get more unsteady. And, and definitely anytime a rider is feeling unsteady or unbalanced, that can raise the fear factor, you know, which is just our protective um, brain saying, hey, you're about, you could fall. And so their fear factor can go up, which can obviously affect their ability to focus on their job of, of riding and leading the horse, but it also can excite the horse. So we have to kind of watch for that, um, that snowball effect. And of course, anytime they're unsteady or unbalanced, there's obviously a much more potential for that student to fall. And we, of course, as instructors, do not want that to happen at all, preferably, and we certainly want to reduce that risk. So that's, I see it affect rider and horse in, in all those ways. I agree with all of that. So what are some specific exercises that you do with your students to help them overcome some of these things? Well, first, you know, it's kind of finding and identifying the issues that they're having. So I actually, I'm, you know, I know I've been on the show before, so we do with our horsemanship in the beginning, the students start on the ground and learn just some real Oh, did we lose her? 
got to say, it's silent all of a sudden. Yeah, I don't know if we lost her or what's going on. And I know that she does start with a lot of the groundwork first. Jennifer, can you hear us? The joys of live, doing shows live. I'm I'm here, you're here. So it's Christy, you want to be here. All right, so. Oh, we lost. Do you want to try and call her back? Yeah, you yeah. try to call her back. I, I have some things to kind yeah. of mention while while we're bringing her back. Um, you know, we could talk about lunging all day long. And for those of you that sometimes want to really feel your horse, you know, you can be lunged on top of a horse and just have your reins tied in a knot and kind of sitting there. That way you can grab them at any time and you can do absolute no hand work at all. If your horse is um, being controlled by somebody who's good at it, whether it's being an instructor, a trainer or a friend of yours that you know well. So lots of things oh, there that you guys Jennifer. can do. Hi, is she back? Yes, back. I'm so sorry. I have full bars. I don't know what happened, but I apologize for that. Oh, um, no. So I was talking no about problem. how to find the issues on the ground. And so first off, as soon as a student even really arrives and is just coming in to fill out their paperwork or visit the farm and, and, and find out about lessons, but certainly once they start, I just immediately start watching how does the student naturally. Oops almost right away, assessing their natural posture, um, sitting and standing. I'm just kind of observing and seeing what kind of poor posture issues do I see? Do they lean one way or the other? Um, do I see that seat posture? And then one of the little things that I actually learned from that uh, behavioral vision therapist was to send them just, you know, I don't even tell them. I just say, hey, could you go pick up the, the brush sitting over there on the, on the shelf? And, and as they do that, I watch to see how they walk. Um, are they traveling in a straight line themselves? And then I also look, where are their eyes? And if, if a student is just walking to go pick up an item and they're looking at the ground as they walk, which is kind of how their brain probably developed as a, as a child and as a baby, then I immediately know that I'm going to have that issue in the saddle because that's how their brain has developed is I've got to look down at this ground to know where I'm going. Whereas um, other students may actually, you know, be standing up straight. They're looking at the brush. They travel straight through the brush. Their eyes are on the brush the whole time. They grab the brush. They turn around and they bring it back to me. And again, when they're traveling back towards me, are they looking at the ground or are they looking at me? Um, And that immediately kind of lets me know right off the bat, is their vision kind of, I've got to look down and, and use that to know where I am in space. Or can I look up and I'm taking all that rest of that information in peripherally. So I kind of assess that, you know, just in sending them to get an object. Um, I do also always ask, especially because I do work with veterans and I often have riders come to me that have had some issues with their horse or their, you know, their, their learning. And so I ask, have they ever had a fall off of a horse or, or even our veterans, you know, have they ever had a concussion or head trauma? Um, I usually ask if, if they've had a major injury or surgery or major weakness that they already know about in, in their body. You know, if someone's broken an ankle then and they tell me that and they've had surgery on that ankle you can usually pretty much assume that even with PT there's going to still be some stiffness in that ankle and some issues and you know in that leg or if they have had a concussion or a head trauma then I know immediately we got to kind of watch for any of these issues that could lead to further unbalance because we certainly don't want them to fall and, and have that happen again um I've even he even taught us how we can just have a bean bag and, and throw it to the student can they catch it um, you know, within a, you know, with a few throws, because that obviously helps know about their depth perception. Um, 
even the, you know, I kind of call it the drunk test, but, you know, the simple thing, like, can you stand with your feet together, arms out to your side, and can you close your eyes? And do they feel balanced or unbalanced? Can they reach and touch their nose? You know, like what you might would see, you know, on the cops show, with, uh, can you close your eyes and touch your nose? And do they stay feeling very balanced and stuff? And, of course, if there's any wobbleness, then that kind of lets me see, and it lets the students see, okay, I have some issues here. So they're kind of prepped for that when I start talking about it. Um Again, you know, I've learned a lot about this myself and, and, you know, us at CHA, we know this, but I just want to, again, advocate, advocate so strongly, helmets, helmets, helmets always, um, because, uh, you know, we never know when the horse may stumble or we may come off. And, and myself, you know, the helmet saved my life, but even with the helmet, I still had a major concussion. And I actually didn't see all of the, the long-term effects of that even until two or three years later. Um, cause what happened was my vision slowly deteriorated from the brain trauma and, you know, at first it wasn't that bad, but as the brain started adjusting and going, Hey, you know, I can't see quite right out of that right eye. It's taking too much work. It got weaker and weaker. So often, you know, as riders, or if we have riders that, that take a fall, it's really important that we watch for, are there changes in their ability to keep their balance? Um, I often now send, you know, if I have one that has a head trauma, I even, usually encourage them to go get that checked out, um, you know, by a, a neurologist or, you know, one of these vision uh, behavioral therapists because they can find a lot. A real famous rider that I think we all know if, if they're at all in the jumping world is Olympian William Fox Pitt. Um, I've got this posted on my Facebook page actually today since I knew I'd be referencing it. But he had, as everyone probably knows in that world, had a major fall, was in a coma for a very long time and had a major head injury that was career ending. But he actually made a full recovery using, you know, the, the vision therapy and, and retraining the brain. So I kind of learned to watch for these things um, ahead of time because I don't want my students to fall. But after I kind of assessed them, just, in, you know, checking them in, getting their paperwork filled out, kind of know if they have any issues. And I've watched for these behavioral, I mean, postural things. I put them in the saddle. Um, when I first put my students in the saddle, it's, it's just like what she was talking about. It's kind of on a, on a lunge line. Um, so the students don't even have reins. Um, so either I am in control or have an assistant in control of the horse. And and this is just in the beginning at a standstill. And I ask them just to sit how they feel like they naturally should sit on a horse. Um, some of them may have had lessons before. Some of them may have never sat on a horse before. And so I immediately just kind of look at what is their natural posture. Obviously, if they've never done it before, there may be a fear posture, which is, again, goes into that seat back fetal position or kind of tightening up. And stuff, but I kind of wait for them. And when they feel comfortable, I say, well, do you feel scared or anything? And like, they're like, no. I say, well, just how do you feel natural? And I let them sit. And I actually just, when they first get on, I take pictures of how, what is their natural, you know, from the side, front and back of, of their natural seat. Then I usually come in and adjust their seat, you know, helping them move into what we, we teach with CHA, you know, that classic balance seat, you know, ear over shoulder, shoulder over hip, hip over heel, kind of help them take them through some stretches if I need to, to get them into that position. And then I take pictures of that. And that's one of the ways I let the student for their very, you know, themselves, they now have a visual reference of, okay, this is my natural posture. This is what Miss Christie's going to help me get, get better at. And that helps them really see and identify that themselves. Does that make sense? 
I love that because, you know, when I go to the dermatologist, what's the first thing they do? They take photos, right, of my face so that mm-hmm. they can then say, hey, look, how I've helped you right in the future. When you first go to mm-hmm. the dentist, what do they do? They take yeah. x-rays of your jaw before the orthodontist puts the braces on. So taking pictures yeah. ahead of time, what a great way to then see people's mm-hmm. progress as they go. I love that. Exactly. Yeah. So I use it and I put them in the right so they can kind of start having a mental picture of what they're supposed to look like. And it may not be perfect off the back, especially if there's major tightness in their body. I may not be able to fix everything. But like you said, then, you know, a few months out, six months in a year, we start getting more pictures and they start seeing how their body is now maintaining that better and getting better and stronger as they go along. So I, I love doing that. And that helps them see their progress. And it just kind of gives them a clear picture of going, Oh, I do see how that could topple over. <laughs> um, you know, the other thing that's really good, Christy, yeah. is the fact that you are probably a so much better instructor now with these types of things because of what you had with your brain trauma. Had you not gone through that, yeah. you probably would not have learned about some of these vision and balance things. So how wonderful for your clients, even though I know it was really not a good time for you going through that, but now now you're, you're using that to benefit others. I think that's wonderful. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I definitely did not enjoy it, but um, I'm very glad I've learned about it because I can now get, you know, a lot of even kids that don't have major, you know, haven't had a head trauma, but just maybe you're having some developmental issues. I've learned so much about how the vision and the brain play such a role and can easily be retrained. And obviously, as we know, horses actually are one of the best retrainers, you know, because they, they send so much signal to our brains as we learn to balance with them and, and take in the world, um, you know, with our eyes up, take in the world position and, and, and strengthen our core and all of that. Um, can you want me to tell you a little bit about how I help them in the saddle? I think, I yeah, think we, Jerry asked me that. Yeah, we only have time for kind of one more kind of wrap up thing. So you can talk about okay. either um, a saddle exercise or a ground exercise, and then you can let people know how to find you. Okay. Well, let me just, I know that Jill, I believe, is going to also be talking about some stretches and things in the saddle. So let me just leave that to her. Um, I want to talk just a few seconds about how I do help them out of the saddle to continue to improve when they're not here. Because obviously, you know, if they come in for a riding lesson once a week, um, that's if they're poor posture six days a week, you know, and, and 23 hours, then, you know, one hour of riding can't fix all of that. So I love teaching my students stretches and, and strength building and balance building exercises that they can do on a daily basis, you know, at home. And again, it's some of the ones that I've had to learn to do myself to improve. But obviously, any light workout of any type and walking is is great um, to just get out and moving and doing some light um, walking and, and workout as possible. But one of my favorites, because like I said, one of the biggest thing I see is tight pectorals um, in the front and weak shoulder blades in the back. So I have a doorway stretch that I teach them, and that's where they actually stand in a doorway. I usually recommend they do it at the bathroom door because it's a little more narrow. And I have them put their feet in the middle of the doorway, and they put their arms up by sides of them, kind of like if you think of a football goalpost. Um, to where their arms are at a 90-degree angle at the elbow, and they just slightly lean into that and feel just a slight stretch across that front muscle of the pe- you know, the pecs above the clavicle. And as they do that, they breathe, um, deep breathe for 20 seconds. Then they stretch a little farther, another 20 seconds. Again, a little bit more of a stretch, another 20 seconds. So they've spent one minute of their life, you know, each morning getting up there and stretching and opening up those front muscles because if those don't 
stretch, there's no way the back can tighten because that front's just going to keep pulling out. That's one of my favorite stretches I teach them to do. Um, another one, if I have kids that can't walk and, and look forward and view an item, um, I just send them to, I say, okay, at home, I want you to pick a spot on the wall or an object, you know, hairbrush, whatever, you know, it's got to be at least 25 feet away. And I want you to practice starting to put your eyes on the object that's out ahead of you, walk up to it, touch the wall on that spot, turn around and walk back in to where you started and, and do that repeatedly. And that helps get them raising those eyes and taking in more peripheral information. Um, another one that's what the, the uh, one foot toothbrush stand. And I call it that because it's something that we can do twice a day, every day while we brush our teeth and it doesn't add any time to our schedule. With a slightly bent knee, stand on one foot while loading their toothbrush and brushing their teeth and spitting in the sink. And I tell them 30 seconds on one foot, 30 seconds on the other. And this is actually much harder than it sounds. But obviously, if they have to put a foot down or a hand to stabilize themselves, they can do so at any point in time. But I encourage them to start practicing that. That builds up some leg muscles, but also all the little balance muscles in the leg. But it also builds the core. And actually, this is a simple way to start building that balance back into the body and the spine helping do its job and keep them up. So I have them, you know, lean over and spit in that sink while still holding your balance. Christy, these are great ideas. I'm going to have my boys do these ideas. This is super. So we've got to wrap up. So if you could go ahead and give us your contact information so that people can find you. What is the website there? The website is the, T-H-E, high, H-I-G-H, mountain.com or operationwarhorse.org. And I'm also on Facebook and Instagram, which is a great way to get a hold of me at High Mountain Horsemanship Academy. And would love um, for anybody to message me if they have any questions. Thank you so much for being on the show today. What great ideas for not only horseback riders, but for anybody to do. I think we all need to start doing that immediately. Those are super ideas. So thank you for being on the show Uh today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Y'all have a great day. So I stand up to do the show. I have a standing desk, and I've been on one foot since she started talking. Ah, you're so good. You're already (laughs) doing it. I almost fell over about three times, but uh, (laughs) there's that. (laughs) That's all right. That's good. All right. We're going to have to go right to our next guest. I love it. This is a very educational show. So this is Jill Montgomery, and she's certified English and Western for us, as well as an equine facility manager clinician. She owns and operates the Arroyo Ranch in Pueblo West, Colorado, and is the CEO of JRAM Enterprises, which is an equine consulting business. She's worked in the horse industry for more than 30 years. Um, She's done such diverse things as being the executive director for the American Youth Horse Council, as well as managing the U.S. Army's Dude Ranch. Hi, Jill. Hey, good morning. Jill. Happy to be with you. Wait a minute. I didn't know the Army had a dude ranch. Isn't that something? They do, yeah. Well, who goes to it? It's a, well, any member of uh, the military uh, forces can use the facility. And um, it's just south of Colorado Springs at Fort Carson. It's a beautiful 1,240 acres on the edge of the mountains. And, um, when I was uh, managing it, we had a trail ride operation. The Mounted Color Guard was housed there. It was about a forty, uh, excuse me, about a seventy horse operation with some private uh, mount um, boarding, and um, it was also a picnic area. So on the weekends, we might entertain two thousand um, 
service members with uh, families or groups having picnics. Wow. Who knew? That's very cool. <laughs> and yeah. talk about a beautiful yeah, spot to, to have it. My God. Oh, it was breathtaking. Yeah. Truly. Yeah. Truly breathtaking scenery. Huh. Well, good for them. So, Jill, I am so glad to have you on. You heard a little bit about what we were doing there um, with Christy and Joanne was on talking about lunging. So for those of you that are just now joining the show, make sure to listen to the recording because, oh, my gosh, we've had so much great information. And, Jill, we're so happy to have you on because you've also done a lot um, with bodies of people as a physical trainer and as uh, doing things like that with them. So we're just dive right in here. What are key muscle groups that you think riders need to focus on? All right. Well, my guess is you might have talked about these a little bit with Christy already, but the uh, groups that most riders need to focus on would be their core strength, which is your back, your abdominals, and your pelvic girdle. Then the second most um, uh, common area that people work on, especially with the adults, would be the leg muscle groups, your thighs, your calves, and your ankles. So what are the different exercises that you can do both on and off the horse that will help them with those muscle groups and to get strength in those areas? All right. Well, um, let's talk about on the horse first. These are uh, things that I would have most of my students do. Um, in building strength, and, and we'll talk about strength first because, um, in general, uh, your strength is power or and or endurance. And uh, in horseback riding, you don't have to be real powerful, but you have to have muscular endurance. So uh, building that kind of strength um, is relatively easy for most people, and you can gr- gain strength by uh, several times a week challenging the muscle group that you're working uh, with progressively making the exercise harder by adding weight or duration to the exercise. But in the saddle, my favorite strength-building exercise for your legs is doing the two-point position where you're standing in your stirrups using the thighs and the knees as the point of contact. And um, to add difficulty to that exercise, you just increase the duration and um, the speed at which your horse is moving. A little harder to do at the trot than, well, not necessarily. Anyway, um, adding uh, time to the exercise will really... um, uh, add strength to your uh, to your legs. Another exercise that I like to do when I have my students mounted would be riding without stirrups or riding with only one stirrup. And again, you don't have to be real powerful. It's riding is mostly a balance sport. So um, being able to maintain your balance without your stirrups is going to involve predominantly the thigh and the seat and maintaining good alignment without your stirrups. It also gives you good coordination practice by being able to pick up your stirrups um, without looking. And I already mentioned, and I'm I'm sure uh, you've talked a little bit about proper alignment, heel, hip, shoulder, ear, um, in a line, and uh, there are times 
in the saddle where that line is going to be a little bit more forward, but generally you're talking about a straight line with the rider being very straight in the saddle. And again, I'm going to interject like I did earlier with the other guests. We have a video that this is what I'm actually doing at the Kentucky Horse Park when we had our conference there a few years ago that goes into great detail about um, what Jill is talking about. And it's, um, again, you go to chainstructors.com or CHA.horse, go to our education tab, go down to videos and get the one that says exercises and balance and strength for riders on the horse. So, Again, for those that want to do the video thing afterwards, that is kind of a way to do that. So I think all those are super ideas. Um, and how about flexibility as a whole? What are some of your specific exercises for that, Jill? Um, if, uh, if I might back up just a little bit, can I talk about what I'd like to have a rider do off the horse, too, for strength? Oh, I'm and sorry. Of course you're you right may. about that video. It's, yeah, it's, it's, um, that video is great. And uh, I think CHA instructors can even uh, link from their websites or their Facebook pages to that video to help their students. Uh, it's, it's a super helpful video. Um, off the horse uh, squats um, where you're not going lower than 90 degrees with um, dipping, uh, using a chair is often a great place to start. And again, uh, doing this exercise slowly will increase uh, with just your body weight um, will increase uh, your strength and that comes pretty fast uh, the I would expect improvement within uh, two or three weeks in in doing squats um, off the horse uh, lunges same type of exercise but one leg at a time again not bending your knee more than 90 degrees and then my favorite for core strength off the horse are high knee lifts, which um, actually work your abdominal muscles quite a bit and have the benefit of also uh, working your balance. And um, so what you do is you, uh, from a balanced uh, feet about hip distance apart, lift your knee as high as you can uh, and with control, uh, picking it up and putting it down and to add difficulty, do the exercise slower after you've mastered being able to do it kind of with uh, some speed. Slow it down. That's what makes it harder. Then the last exercise I wanted to talk about, which is going to be surprising for people who do it, stand up from a sitting position without using your arms. Really does a lot for your legs. And it's a little harder than you think. It's hard. (laughs) It is. Yeah. So. Very um, good. But moving on. Yeah, to flexibility. flexibility. Sure. Okay. Uh, Flexibility, you gain a little bit differently than strength. You have to practice it more, and um, it comes in slower um, progression. So a little bit every day. And when we're talking about uh, stretching for flexibility, you want to make sure that you're not putting yourself in a painful position, but to the point of tension and then holding for a few seconds, maybe as much as six to 10 seconds. It's an element of fitness that small and steady gains are made when you pursue it regularly. Um, And with um, riding Stretching on the horse, um, one of my favorite exercises that I ask the uh, students to do, uh, and this 
is usually done either on a lunge line or when they're in a round pen or when they have enough control uh, in the big arena so that with their legs they can keep the horse directed on the rail. But putting the reins down on the saddle, both arms up over their head straight, and then take the feet out of the stirrups and stretch both up and down at the same time, elongating yourself, stretch, I, I say stretch up to the clouds and get your feet to the ground. <laughs> so um, that stretch is, is kind of um, fun, especially for kids uh, that are fearless about going without um, reins for a few strides. And again, it's one of those six seconds to 10 seconds hold type of things. Um, another flexibility exercise that I'm super um, uh, excited about doing or asking people to do are ankle circles in both directions slowly and what I call toe pumps where the toe is pointed and then pulled back towards the knee. And again, these are done slowly. And actually, this is an exercise just everybody should do because um, the proprioception that you have in your ankle is going to save you, and this applies to balance as well. But for flexibility, especially as a rider, being able to uh, adjust the position of your foot in the stirrup, being able to pick up a drop stirrup, being able to... um, uh, adjust your your ankle. That is really going to be a helpful exercise. A nice slow circle both out and in. And with the kids, one of the things that I'll have them do is write their name with their toes. Yes, that's a fun Think one. About doing, yeah. Um, and then, again, one of the uh, exercises that uh, is done pretty much, I'm sure, with almost every student, but it is good for flexibility, is working on proper alignment in the saddle and having that always in your mind with the the heel down and uh, heel, hip, shoulder, ear in that straight line. That's um, a static uh, stretch um, that uh, is something that is going to assist the, the rider with their flexibility as well as their balance. Um, moving Very on good. to off-the-horse pieces, yeah. um, calf stretches is kind of probably the primary uh, stretch I would have all my students practice. I like to have um, any excuse to stretch the back of the calf and uh, climbing a, stairs where, a stair, set of stairs where you have um, a rail is a super easy place to do that. Um, dropping your heels for about six seconds or just even going up one step after the next and uh, using that six seconds on each tread to um, have a number of, of stretches. And um, ankle circles and toe pumps off the horse is a good idea for everybody, <laughs> again. Um one of the upper body stretches that I think is kind of fun and easy to do in the barn because brooms and rakes are so available is to take the handle of either a broom or rake and lay it across your back and put your arms up over each side 
and see how far you can roll that down your back. And that stretches the pectorals and also helps with um, posture and getting your shoulder blades back, kind of getting that to a familiar feeling. We, in, in this day and age, so many activities leave us kind of hunched forward. So opening that chest, strengthening the back muscles, um, and having that familiar feeling of having your shoulder blades closer together rather than stretched forward, your shoulders back, is something that um, we need to practice more. And I, and I give that kind of as an assignment to my students frequently. That's really good. So, Jill, we have about two minutes um, to do balance. So okay. go ahead and give us just the highlighted ones that you really like and maybe more off the horse just because we do have that uh, video that we talk quite a bit about on the horse. So maybe really focus yes. on the off the horse ones. All righty. Uh, I'm going to say two things about that. Um, walk barefoot whenever you can. And when you walk, use your whole foot from this is a, a – a Tai Chi tip from an excellent teacher, James Shaw, um, where when you put your foot down, make sure that it's not just the ball of your foot you're standing on. Use your whole foot and try not to tip forward when you're walking, but rather stand up straight. That posture thing is so critical to your balance in uh, horseback riding. And if you practice it off the horse, you will also have an easier time maintaining it on the horse. And uh, as a, a really just general popular activity, get yourself into a yoga class where you're practicing all kinds of exercises uh, that improve balance. And especially for adult riders, uh, maintaining balance is uh, is critical to avoiding falls and maintaining um, a strength that is going to help you not only uh, in the saddle but in life. Jill, you are so true about all these things. And again, this show has been so much fun because it really is for everybody. All the horse husbands can listen to it too because it really is not just for riding, right? It really is for this day-to-day living. So thank you so much. How can folks find you if they want to know more, Jill? Well, um, my website is uh, www.dram, J-R-A-M, enterprises, no spaces in between, dot com. Or Jill at Tram Enterprises is my email. I'm also on Facebook, and uh, you can reach me through CHA Region 9's um, Facebook group page as well. So, Super. So uh, good to have you on point, the show. I do want to do thank you for the time, and this was really fun because it brings me back to my uh, fitness consultant and personal trainer roots. <laughs> A lot of <laughs> Thanks, fun. Jill. Thank ha- have time. a good day. You too. Bye bye. Wow, we jam packed today full. And I think we answered a lot of auditors' questions and concerns today. Yes, that was very fun. And like you said, see, this is one you can charge for. This is like, you know, those webinars that are free versus the ones you charge for. See, here you go. 
Well, if, <laughs> Lots if, of information. Well, let me throw this out there then. If you find value in today's show, you too can become an auditor just by going to horseradionetwork.com and click on the auditor banner for as little as a dollar a month. You can help support the shows. So uh, that's how you do that. We, we've been talking about auditors all day. We might as well mention how you can become one. And you also Absolutely. get to be involved in the super secret auditor page, which, uh, which Christy will attest to is the most active Facebook page private group I've ever seen. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. They are really active and very supportive. It's a very positive place. Very much so. Well, thank you, Christy, for putting this together. Where can people find the Certified Horsemanship Association? Yes, CHA.horse is the easiest way to do it. We got rid of that .com. We're just going right to .horse. And it's, um, it's, everything's on there about what we're talking about today in video format, too. So lots of good information, all free and available to everyone listening. Very good. And of course, you can find all the past episodes of this particular uh, Tuesday. You can go to horsesinthemorning.com, scroll down to the middle of the page, and you're going to see a CHA banner there. Click on it, and it'll take you to all the past episodes. You don't, uh, you know, these are. These are very timely no matter when you listen to them. We don't really talk about anything that's show or event-oriented. Any of these particular episodes, you can learn something from, and you can find them all on the website. We only have—I get this question a lot. We only—iTunes only allows us to keep 50 past episodes on— uh, iTunes or any of the podcast players. So that's why you won't find all past episodes on podcast players is that's a restriction on usually iTunes or Google plays part. So to find the really the older episodes, you have to go to the website and either download them or listen to them from the website. So that's, that's why that is that way. Um, and I think we have 50, uh, you know, which for most podcasts is like two years worth. Uh, but for us is like, you know, two months worth. A couple right. So, so that's why that's why it doesn't seem like we go back very far is because we're doing them every day. Yes. Well, thank you, Christy. Thank you, Glenn and Jen. Talk to you next month. All right, everybody. We'll be back tomorrow uh, here at 9 a.m. Eastern on Horses in the Morning. Jamie will be coming to you from Monty Roberts' place over Woo-hoo. in California from Flag is Up Farm. And we have a whole lot more fun planned for you the rest of the week. Talk to you then. And I can't get my music to play for some reason. We're full of technical difficulties. There we go. Bye, everybody. Bye.